0: Hey, it's Eric Hulkerin, and this is another episode of Behind the Headlines, and the season has changed officially, or unofficially, depending on how you look at it, to fall. And in this episode, we talk to Mark Terragrosa, chief meteorologist for MLive, about what fall will hold, and what kind of winter we can expect. You know how El Nino
1: got his name? No, do tell. Okay. El Nino, what does it mean in Spanish? The baby. The boy. Oh, the boy. Okay. Okay. It's capitalized the boy, who are they talking about? Jesus Christ, Uh okay? So what happens is around, when, when El Nino occurs around Christmas time, the waters warm off the coast of South America. Some of the driest deserts, Chile, Peru are there. When the water's warm and the wind shifts also in an El Nino pattern and it comes off the west, It blows water, it blows humid air into South America, and it makes rain 10-15 inches in places that might only get a couple of inches a year. So they give it, they gave it the name, not us meteorologists, you know, drinking around, having some beer saying, hey, let's make up a name, El Nino. Uh, The South Americans gave it a name after the birth of Jesus Christ, you know, a couple of thousand years ago, when all of a sudden a rain gift a ride at Christmas time, mm. and they could uh, grow a crop the next year.
0: So let's get into it. My co-host, as always, is John Heiner, Vice President of Content for Live. John, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Eric. Um, I'm not even going to talk
2: about the weather oh wait a minute yes you are for an (laughs) hour that's what we're gonna do (laughs) i the little secret is every show i open up and talk about how fast summer's going by and how how lousy i feel about it but uh um it's because i love the summer weather but anyways uh eric i have a riddle for you sure what's the what's the one thing everybody talks about and nobody does anything about
0: is it the weather
2: no it's coronavirus you're wrong (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely the weather, and you know, I'll you're, you like uh, origin stories, and sometime I'll tell you the origin story of how this man came to join him live because it's a pretty good one. Uh, Mark Torregrossa, our meteorologist, and I go way back, and uh, he he's a hit he's a hit with our readers. Um, I remember when we brought him on, I was like, Mark, we got to get a million page views a month to weather, and you know, within a few months, we were you know getting five times that or seven times that, and. It's for two reasons. Obviously, people are insatiable about about the weather uh, impacts a lot, uh, every part of their life, but also Mark is just happens to be one of the best at what he does. So uh, we're, we're blessed to have him. And uh, I know our readers are too, and listeners. So, uh, you know, without further ado, I'd like to, to welcome my meteorologist Mark Torregrossa to
1: our show. Howdy. Thanks for inviting me. You're going to find out when I talk about weather, I like to talk about weather. So, is there a time allotment on this? <laughs> We're good. It's a podcast.
0: We can do it whatever you want.
2: It's it's like the old guys at the coffee shop, you know? It's All right. It's when the pot when the pot of coffee runs out. So
1: right, exactly. No,
2: I absolutely. And there's there's of course no sh- shortage of things to talk about. But um, and you do such a good job with your daily forecasts on our Facebook. Page of Facebook Lives and our Facebook page, which has, I don't know, 17 or 18,000 followers. But um, first of all, I got to tell you, uh, with and I mentioned coronavirus, but with the pandemic being such that it was, it was a blessing this spring when, uh, you know, they opened up golf courses and, and, and um, fishing and out, you know, bike trails and all that stuff. But I got to say mother nature came through pretty well from my standpoint, it was, it was a remarkable summer, but from a meteor, uh, meteorological standpoint, uh, what kind of summer did we just have?
1: Well, we, we had a notable summer, but not, not like one that you would remember all your life. Um, you know, so us meteorologists, we start the summer party early. So we have two seasons, you know, we have the meteorological summer and we have astronomical summer. And the reason why meteorologists are different than the folks that have their head up in the stars is it's a lot easier just to track a month. So meteorological summer is June 1st. So June, July, August, Mm -hmm. we unfortunately end summer uh, a little bit early and, uh, you know, astronomical summer would be June 21st ish. To September 21st-ish. So we have our summer in the weather books now and um, some places very notable. And Michigan is always interesting in a season because the whole state might have a general trend, but you might find a couple of outliers. So for example, Muskegon looks like preliminarily, if that's a word, has had its hottest summer on record. Mm. Um, Detroit, about fourth to sixth hottest summer on record, depending on what observing site you use. Uh, Lansing, between third and sixth. Grand Rapids, ninth to 15th warmest, depending on which observing site. Uh, Flint-Saginaw, about 14th, 15th warmest. Mm. So it's it's a very warm summer to, in some places, the hottest they've ever had, uh, and You know, so it makes it a notable summer as far as temperatures go in my mind. And you're exactly right. Boy, we thought, you know, early with the coronavirus, if uh, people could get outside, uh, things would be helped out. And then Mother Nature delivered. And in the spring, it was beautiful. And we were able to get out real quickly.
2: I just don't seem to remember a lot of rain or this being a really damp summer.
1: Well, you know, on precipitation, again, that varies even more widely you know, through a summer where you can, uh, where you can have some places really wet, some places really dry. The summer was not notable at all. Most places were kind of right in the middle of the groupings of uh, a rank. So not dry, not wet. When you do June, July, and August put together, but some places have been very dry lately. When you factor in much warmer than normal temperatures with the streak of two or three weeks of very dry conditions. It feels like it's been very dry in some places. And then we got to remember how we started it off with the heavy rains and the bursting of the dams. So it's been a very volatile summer. And, And, you know, everybody wants to go back to, well, is that a product of climate change? You know, is everything really volatile now? Michigan's weather has always been volatile. You know, one winter to the next, extreme snow to the next winter, not a lot of snow, back to snow. So it's always volatile. It's just a question whether it's getting more volatile over time.
2: Eric, he just uh, jumped over into my conspiracy channel. He did, yes. uh, (laughs) Once per podcast, at least, I got to put my tinfoil hat on. But the old saying, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats we've seen these temperature records all across the country. Um, You know, the Death Valley, have supposedly hit the hottest recorded temperature ever on earth uh, just a few weeks ago. You know, Arizona, it's almost intolerable to live there uh, this summer. So just from your perspective though, and not not so much the politics of it, but the science of it, how much are you seeing that's kind of irrefutable to you as a weatherman?
1: Well, when you look at all of the data sets from all of the places around the globe, it shows a warming globe, you know, and it shows a average temperature that's going up. So again, we're creatures of, of short memory. And we remember something like March into April when it was very chilly compared to normal for this mm-hmm. time of the year. And we say, hey, the globe's not warming anymore. And we forget that we're talking about Michigan in two months. So the globe is warming the data that I see uh, everything shows that since the, since the eighties, the, uh, moving average, you know, five-year moving average or a 10-year moving average shows that the globe is warming.
2: Yeah. And I mean, that's a scientific fact, you know, why, or whether it's a part of a thousand year or million year cycles, uh, that can all be debated by others, but it's, it's pretty irrefutable if you have a thermometer and you live here, that the temperatures, we're, we're seeing higher temperatures. Like how many 90-degree days this year? I think that those numbers are going up, too.
1: Right, 90-degree days this year? I knew you'd ask that. <laughs> yeah. He has a list. He has you know, a list. I looked at that list, you told me, I said, I better study up on this one. This <laughs> is like when I go to church, like if I sit close and the priest sees me, he'll sometimes stop in the middle of his sermon he'll say, um, Mark, it, what about that cold snap next week? Are we finally getting some rain? So I got to study up even before I go to church. Otherwise, I'm just caught like, um, I don't know what's going on. So, so he doesn't
2: he doesn't ask you to remind people how hot it is in hell?
1: <laughs> no, no, <Okay>. not, yet. <laughs> not yet. Okay, not um, yet. 17 in Detroit, uh, 17 90-degree days this summer, six more than normal. Hmm. Um, and this goes to my thing about, it was a very warm summer, but not an extremely hot summer. 18, in the, in the Saginaw area, 18 85 degree plus days, and that was seven more than normal. So we had a lot of very warm days.
2: And that's even with the mitigating factor of the Great Lakes, right? Which that creates a weather phenomena in Michigan that they don't see in like Wisconsin
1: or Illinois. Yeah. Yeah, it does. But you know, again, here, when I'm talking about 17 90 degree days, six more than normal, we're comparing it to all the years in Detroit that have Mm. also been surrounded by the great lakes. So, you know, we haven't changed that part. Um, You know, it's just, it's, it's kind of amazing to me that people don't realize how small the weather atmosphere is. And you probably get into this, but you know, it, we, go, we go with this, the globe is warming. Is it made by mankind or is it some sort of natural cycle? Well, as a meteorologist, I believe in natural cycles. And you know, we see those over time. Um, is this a hundred year cycle? Is this a thousand year cycle? We don't know, but also as an observer of the atmosphere, I believe strongly that mankind has influenced the weather. So it's like the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Remember he said, oh, man, I just wish I was never alive. (laughs) And then the angel came down and said, okay. George, you got your wish. You're never alive. Now let's see what the world is like without you. We can't do that with weather, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. We can't say, hey, let's strip out mankind and see what the weather would be doing otherwise. So we have to kind of use our scientific minds. And the one thing I like to point out to folks is that the atmosphere is not that big. Folks that don't believe we can influence the weather, they say, no way the sky is too big look it up at the stars well i have to remind people there's you got to go back to your science classes in in high school and there's layers in the atmosphere there's the troposphere and then the stratosphere and the mesosphere and a few others and the the weather stays in the troposphere and there's a lid or a ceiling on the troposphere called the tropopause it's only six to ten miles high mm-hmm. so that's the weather that's the area that we touch and when you look up in the sky sometimes on a calm day and you see all the contrails in the sky and everything sometimes the sky will be covered with them i did that in 1988 when we were in a big drought year no upper air movement i was uh, in college working on grounds crew by chicago you'd look up in the sky as far as you could see contrails so what i learned from that is that we touch every inch of the atmosphere every day. And that's from the North pole to the South pole and from the ground to six to 10 miles up. How far is your drive to work? Say back in normal times, you know, when we went to the office from your house to the MLive hub, how far of a drive would that be?
2: 15 miles.
1: And that's that drive tipped up on its end is bigger than the atmosphere at the pole, at the, I'm sorry, at the equator where it's 10 miles thick. And at the polar regions, it's six miles
2: Wow, that's crazy. Well, speaking of natural cycles and something you also uh, write about is kind of uh, meteorological um, phenomena. um, And it it ranges across the range. And I love reading your stuff, but but one is lake levels. And uh, I spent a lot of my 90s uh, working up in the Bay City Times, which, of course, is Saginaw Bay and Lake Huron, where we were writing uh, about the, uh, you know, the crisis of low lake levels and how low the water is and, you know, the economic impacts of that on shipping and people's property and, you know, just flip forward 20 some years, 25, 30 years, and, and look at what we're facing now with the high lake levels and how much of that is is weather? Uh, or how much of that is other phenomena?
1: Um, it's, it's pretty much all weather. Um, you know, when we had the low lake levels, uh, everybody would write me and I am sure they would write you. Uh, that they're stealing water out of uh, the Chicago canal mm-hmm. and um, the bottled water companies are pulling so much water out that that's what's causing the lake levels. And so one of my first things that I loved doing when I first started MLive, I started doing the math on how much water comes out for bottled water and how much goes out through Chicago. It's not, it's, I think the bottled water, if I remember the correct number was 1, 14,000th of an inch on Lake Michigan. Mm -hmm. Um, So pretty much the water cycles, uh, the lake levels go with the weather. Now, how much of the weather is caused by what we've changed it and how much is caused by natural? So yes, you definitely, as you look at the charts of the lake levels up and down and how do those go? Those go with the natural ebb and flow of dry and wet weather over the course of three, four, five, ten 10 years around the Great Lakes drainage basin. And it just so happens um, that we've been in a wet pattern, uh, especially in winters. We've had 11 of the last 15 winters, if you averaged Michigan's winter precip, 11 of the last 15 have been wetter than normal.
2: You had a good post at the beginning of uh, the season with satellite images, and I'm not sure if it was from NOAA or NASA, uh, but it was filtered, or the photo filters they were using, were showing the degree of moisture in the soil. Right, and, and I think the color was green or olive or something. But Michigan was a giant sponge. You, you yes. pointed out that every every iota of Michigan was basically just loaded like a sponge,
1: and and you can't separate that into the Great Lakes. You know, the if the water. If the soil is wet in Mount Pleasant and your sump pump is running all the time in Mount Pleasant, it's eventually draining out into the Great Lakes. Overall wet pattern that we've been in eventually transfers out to the Great Lakes and raises the levels. Um, and now in the last couple of weeks, the lake levels have started to go down. That's a seasonal thing. Usually the lake levels reach a peak somewhere around July, and then they start to go down seasonally all the way through November, December, January, February, and then start the rise again. So, you know, at such high levels that are, that are devastating in a lot of places, a lot of folks want to say, well, is that the high? Are the lake levels going to start to go down now forever? Or for a couple of years or whatever is it's kind of like the stock market you know you look at that going up and you say oh it went down for three days is that the high or is mm-hmm. it just a little break and back back upwards in my mind we're we're still continuing a wetter the normal pattern and there's a simple basic reason the globe is warmer the oceans are warmer warmer oceans put off more energy energy turns into storm systems doesn't mean that we always have to be wetter than normal. It also in a hotter uh, globe, when the storm track is avoiding us, we're gonna get dry real fast too. So we think that maybe maybe we might see more fluctuation in the Great Lakes. And in fact, that was a talk when they were so low, well, it's so warm, there's more evaporation. Well, and then it switched to a pattern that it's it's wet. So it's up and down. Uh, and it's hard to superimpose the natural cycles again on what's man-made and I will say one thing you know we moved to a we moved to a body of water and we think that mother nature owes us that <laughs> shoreline to stay there when they when we bought our cabin in 98 or 2000 or 2005 and it it goes it goes up and down
2: well people who, live over there should be aware that a dune is a living thing right a sand dune is moving all the time and so when i saw the images of the destruction along great lakes you're looking at a lot of dune area natural dune area and i see people putting in seawall and riprap and stuff and you kind of wonder if that's you know inevitably it's going to be pointless uh, if it, when the lake decides or mother nature decides to move it it's going to move
1: yeah, and I've always wondered about Fishtown. We saw that where uh, it was flooded uh, by Leland, uh, Leland County, and they decided to raise it up four feet. Mm-hmm. I thought, how do they determine that Lake Michigan is going to stop at four feet? Because when you do look back in long records, 10,000 years, 100,000 years, there are some geologists that can show that Lake Michigan was 20 and 30 feet higher and hundred feet lower. So there are bigger cycles It would just take some time.
2: I saw a TV documentary about um, an ancient city that was uncovered in some you know really remote place in Mexico. and it you know archaeologists said it appeared that this was a thriving city of like 50, 60,000 people and then something happened and they just vanished. Like, did aliens take them? Did a meteorite hit? Here we go. <laughs> Eric and I are working on a concept series where I just talk <laughs> of all my conspiracy theories uh, not, in an endless stream, and I've got a bunch. But anyways, it was a great documentary because near the end, you'll like this, Mark, what they determined through uh, finding food scraps and soil borings and stuff is the weather changed. Okay. It was, you know, in an archaeological time, 50 years is a blip. But yes. in those fifty years, was famine. Their crops wouldn't grow. Uh, their animals couldn't feed their animals, and they just left. And in those cycles of nature, are a lot more powerful than what you know. Humans have a, a pretty strong ego as a race, and we feel like we could control a lot of things. But um, I am going to take a left turn on you here because uh, there's a couple of things I want to talk about before before we get to the end, and that is uh, two of uh, two things that are. Uh, we, can't avoid in Michigan. One people really seem to look forward to, which is fall and then winter. And, uh, you know, uh, both, I think we are now into what you called the calendar fall or the, uh, meteorological the meteorological. meteorological fall. Yeah. Um, so people love it in Michigan, you know, uh, pumpkin farms and cider and fall color trips. And so, uh, put your weatherman hat on and tell us what we can expect for this fall in Michigan.
1: Well, I, we're over the next couple of weeks. We're going to have a uh, cooler than normal weather. Remember our average temperature is going down because the sun's losing power and we're going to be slightly cooler than that. I've found that cooler than normal weather in September brings the fall color on a little quicker. And we've had a hard time getting cooler than normal weather in September the last couple of years. So fall color has been about a week behind. Mm-hmm. I've also find I get a lot of calls, a lot of emails from people, you know, other parts of the country and they want to know what weekend they should come <laughs> to Traverse city or, or whatever. I have found that the fall color is usually no earlier than one week earlier than normal and usually no later than one week after. And uh, so we'll be putting that map out here very shortly, probably, uh, probably probably, in the next week or so, but uh, generally northern lower Michigan, the first week of October. So if it's early, you might be talking about the last few days of September is a peak. Uh, if it's late, you might be talking about the second week of October. And then as you work your way south, it's usually a week or two later than that. I think fall is going to be nice. I think I think this is a, a couple of week cooldown. I still think we're in an overall warmer than normal pattern, and uh, so I think we're going to have a very nice fall and winter is a quandary because we have La Nina Mm. forming. Um, Not El Nino, Nina. Not El Nino, we're going to have La Nina, that's the opposite. You know how El Nino got its name? No, do tell. Okay, El Nino, what does it mean in Spanish? The baby? The boy. Oh, the boy, okay. Okay, it's capitalized, the boy. Who are they talking about? Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. Okay. So what happens is, around when when El Nino occurs around Christmas time, the waters warm off the coast of South America. Some of the driest deserts, Chile, Peru, are there. When the water's warm and the wind shifts also in an El Nino pattern, and it comes off the west it blows water it blows humid air into south america and it makes rain 10 15 inches in places that might only get a couple of inches a year so they give it they gave it the name not us meteorologists you know Mm -hmm. drinking around having some beer saying hey let's make up a name el nino Uh, the south americans gave it a name after the birth of jesus christ you know a couple of thousand years ago when all of a sudden a rain gift arrived at Christmas time, Mm. and they could uh, grow a crop the next year. So warm waters off the coast of South America, El Nino, the opposite is La Nina. Now we did give it that name, Mm. and that's when the waters turn colder than normal there, and it alters the patterns, Uh, almost the opposite of El Nino, and long story short, strong La Nina tends to bring Michigan and the Great Lakes a colder than normal and snowier than normal winter. Mm. Asterisk, it's one piece of the puzzle of our winter. The other piece is the globe is warming, the polar regions are warming faster than any region, and that's where our cold air comes from. And so every year it's harder to get extreme cold to come southward doesn't mean it won't happen. Uh, every year, again, if we use that, it's a wonderful life story, cold snap that we have this year that lasts two or three weeks, might've lasted six weeks, 20 or 30 years ago, but we don't know. So I always have to add in the warming globe to anything. And in this case, you know, when you talk about a possibility of a colder and snowier than normal winter, michigan and then you add the on the global warming you bring it up to kind of a normal winter every every every
2: every year you seem to introduce our readers to some new concepts and i remember because i still you know the ends of my fingers are still numb from year a couple years ago with the polar polar vortex is that thing gone or did it just shift over to siberia or where's our friend
1: no the polar vortex is always there okay and again that was not a new concept either. The polar vortex they've known about for 50 years or so, but that polar vortex typically is spinning at the polar region. I always use the the bald spot on top of my head, you know? (laughs) Maybe it's not a good analogy because my polar vortex is expanding out all the time, but you know, it's at the center of the globe, but sometimes it breaks up. Sometimes it shifts over to this side for a couple of months. Sometimes it shifts over to Siberia. When it shifts over to Siberia, we get extremely warm. But what we're noticing is that the polar vortex is getting disrupted or squashed um, late in the season more often, in March. And then it breaks up into pieces and a piece of that, a lobe of that polar vortex comes down to about Hudson Bay. And then what do we have? A lot of complaining people in March and April after a warm winter. Mm-hmm. So, and that is one of the hardest concepts for anybody to comprehend is that in this warming globe, Michigan and the Great Lakes actually has a, a, about a 15 year trend now of cooler than normal March and early Aprils. How can that be when the globe is warming? It's the disruption of the flow. You're old enough, John. You Thank remember, you. you remember the lava lamp?
2: Uh, yeah, I think I have one back here in this
1: <laughs> this room over here. Um, you turn the light on, gets hot at the bottom. The first bubble comes up and it's coming straight up and then it hits the top and it breaks and they go down the sides. And then all of a sudden, at some point, one bubble hits another bubble and the whole circulation gets jumbled up for a minute or two and then it gets back on cycle and that's kind of what happens in the atmosphere too
2: well mark as always your expertise is uh is very useful to our readers everyday life um they they love what you do for them and uh, we appreciate it too and and uh, man, here's to a great uh, color tour. And I think if people want to can't get into Traverse City and you know, a month from now, they might want to head to Copper Harbor right now. They probably see some colors short right right. there right now.
1: You can go everywhere. That's the beautiful thing about the water you can, our, our fall season is about three weekends up north, you know, up one weekend, somewhere interior northern lower another weekend, Traverse City or near the water a third weekend, and then you can shift back home. You really, if you do it right, you can go five weekends in a row and see fall color. Yeah.
2: Well, here's to a great fall in Michigan and uh, thanks again, Mark.
1: Okay. Thank you. Take care.
0: And there they go. Big thanks to Mark Terragrosa for giving us the insight on what we might expect this fall and winter season. And if you like what you're hearing, here's what we'd love for you to do. Head to Spotify and put us in a playlist. If you're listening on Google play or iTunes rate and review the podcast. And if you really love what we're doing, share it with someone who'll dig it. All right. I'm Eric Hulcoran, he's John Heiner, and this is Behind the Headlines.